Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Still in chapter one. And we're going to be on Pasukid Gimel. 13. 13. Pasukid Gimel. Let us briefly recap. The, the king threw a grand party. He invited the local population. He's trying to please everybody. The queen, not to be outdone, threw a party herself. The king, in an effort to undermine her prominence and importance, sent for her to come in a let's just say, compromising position. And that this would demean and demote her. He would establish his monarchy in an absolute way. One of the themes that we've developed through the course of these classes is the notion that Ahasuerus was an extremely calculated individual. He was really no fool. And his, his mission, his purpose, his goal, was to establish a monarchy that was absolute. As the Malbim explains, that Ahasuerus did not simply want to fit into a system that is larger than he to assume the throne or the position that had existed before, but Achashverosh wanted to reinvent the whole kingdom and place himself at the very center. That's a little bit of the background of the classes that we started before. I mention this now because it is instructive on moving forward. Because the next verses will seem to be a total contradiction to that goal. Where Ahasuerus is powerful and he can do as he pleases, all of a sudden, when Vashti doesn't show up, when his wife disobeys him, when he has a little bit of marital discord, he is powerless. He doesn't know what to do. Take a look. Pasuket Gimel. Verse 13 of chapter 1 of the Megillah, the king said to Yeid Lachachamim, to the wise people, Yedehoitim, the ones who knew the times. And I'm, I'm deliberately translating that in a vague manner, as you'll see. Kichain Dvar HaMelech, because that is the word of the king. Lefnei Kol Yodei Dos Vedin, that is the word of the king, that it comes before those who know Dot and Din. Literally, people usually translate that as law and statute. What does that really mean? What is dos and what is din? You should know that the concept of a dos or a dat usually refers to a faith system. We refer to a religious system or religious governance is referred to as a das. So a dat could mean religion, actual religion. Religion, of course, is God-focused. We're focused on worshiping God. Or religion could be the things that people worship, the ethos, the ethics, the moralities that, that people adopt, and that becomes like almost a religion to them. Like in today's world, people have adopted all kinds of strange mores, and that has become the new religion. So, for example, uh, you know, today political correctness is almost like, it's like a religion, it's sacred. Or the notion of uh, multiculturalism, or uh, recycling, or whatever, whatever it may be, that th th things that disable people from behaving a certain way, or doing certain things, because that's the societal norm. These are the mores of the present civilization that we live in, and everybody's expected to comport themselves in accordance with that. And, and law is law. But law and ethics do not always necessarily overlap. So the pasuk, the verse, is, at very least, is difficult in the fact that it says the word, kichein dvar hamelech. What, what is, what is pasuk Gimel? What is the verse telling us? The king said, 
to the Chachamim, to the wise people, to Yehidehoitim, to the people in new times, who know of, of the different changes, the vicissitudes of time. What, what does it mean? Because that's the thing, that's the word of the king before Yehidei Dasvidin. So Rashi says, and the words, that is the custom, that is the typical manner of the king whenever he has to deal with an issue of justice, whenever he has a question of how to render judgment. That he places this thing that he wants to render judgment on, before those who know statute and law, those who know ethos and legalities. The Sif Chamim points out that what bothers Rashi is here, since when does the king always seek counsel and advice? <laughs> On the contrary, Achashverosh is this big powerful king who does as he pleases. Nowhere before in the Megillah does it say that he consulted with anybody if he should or shouldn't make a party that lasts for 180 days, if he should turn his royal courtyard into a public romping grounds, if, if, if he should allow people to eat or drink whatever they wanted, and Ahasuerus even goes away from the mores of that particular society, where everybody didn't have to drink the particular cup and everybody could drink more or less, and nobody was forced into anything. There was no coercion whatsoever, as we explained in previous classes. So why here suddenly does the king have to call upon these wise people, this council? So the Sizachom says, that's exactly what's bothering Rashi. And therefore, he says, when it comes to an issue of judgment, when it comes to an issue of rendering specific justice, that's, that's when it was different. When it came to justice, the king did, in fact, seek counsel. So that's the way Rashi explains this on a simple level. Because the king seeks justice here, that's why he seeks counsel. The king does not seek advice. He does not follow what other people say as a rule. But when it comes to this specific reality, all of a sudden, counsel is important. The Ibn Ezra is bothered by the words Yehidei Ho'itim. They know the times. What does this mean, know the times? So he interprets the words Yehidei Ho'itim, Chachme HaMazalot, the wise people of the astrology, or the zodiac. Which means that Ahasuerus was a very superstitious fellow and he wanted to know what do the stars say? What, 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 what's in the cards? Or, he says, another way of understanding is, He wants to know what has happened in the past. What kind of precedent do we have for this? Where a king was publicly disobeyed, but it was a member of his own royal family. What do we do then? What, what is the appropriate response? How do we deal with this kind of circumstance, situation? So, are not astrologers, as much as they are people who know the past political landscape. They are people who understand what has gone on in the annals of Persian history. The Rashi, neither the Ibn Ezra talk about this on the literal level, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that the Midrashim in, in, in the Esther Rabbah have a very different take or a different nuance in this whole business of Yodei Das Vidin. The Ed Medrash Rabbah says, Man Chachamim, who are these wise people? When we the Jewish people call somebody a Chacham, 
who are we talking about? Tawaskalan. So the Medrash says, indeed, Rabbanon. They were, they were the rabbis. He actually sought the counsel of the rabbis to deal with his problem. Yeideho itim. What does it mean, knowing of times? One of the things that the Jews were expert in was the sciences of the movement of heavenly bodies. Why? Because our faith, our, our religious system, focuses very much on the festivals and the holidays. And in order to establish holidays, what do I need to have? A Jewish calendar. So we were experts. In fact, Maimonides, the Rambam, when he talks about the notion that the Jewish people didn't have the records of how to make a calendar anymore, and the Rambam says that he had to adopt the writings of the Greek astrologers, that's because it had fallen in disuse. We were no longer doing this for a while, and we, so therefore it fell away from us. But he says the rabbis, especially for the tribe of Yisachar, were very prominent in this field. And therefore he said to these sages, to these rabbis, how should I deal with this situation? The rabbis didn't know what to do because they knew that everything will be held against them. The rabbis weren't drunk. The whole party was drunk. He didn't send for the people in the party. He sent, he, this is like a little while later. He sent for wise people. And the rabbis knew that if they say she has to be put to death, tomorrow he sobers up and he blames it on the Jews. If he says she'd be left alone, left alone? Merida b'malchus? This is absolute sedition against the king? Left alone? So they don't know what to do. They'll say that the rabbis don't have proper respect for government. So therefore they said to him, they sent him back a message, look, we'd love to help you. But from the day the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed, we went into Galut, which is already seven decades, we don't know how to deal with these kinds of issues. Because the criminal court of the Jewish people can only function when the Beis Hamikdash is standing. So they said, we're no longer experienced in this. Sorry. We can't, we can't help you. Go to the people of Ammon and Moab. They, they're very good at, you know, they know how to execute. Go, go, go to them. They, they, their courts have been functioning. Our courts, when it comes to criminality, have fallen into disuse. To better understand this, the words of the Medrash, I will now take you to the Rishon Letzion, the commentary of the Orachayim. He quotes the Medrash, saying, what's this Chachamim, Yehideh Ha'itim, who is this? And he quotes the Medrash, he talks about the fact that the Bnei Yisachar were called Yehideh Bina Le'itim, that they knew the times, they knew when could predict when the moon would appear and how it would appear. And he says, it seems, based on this Medrash, that the proper understanding of Ahasuerus's request that was sent specifically to the rabbis is because Ahasuerus was hoping that Vashti could get off the hook. So he made a, 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 a very, very carefully calculated request or you issued an order. The order was that Vashti should come in a compromised position. And he knew that Vashti likes these kind of things. It, it all it was going to make sense. If you remember, we learned last week that the Medrash told us that Vashti would have come. But miraculously, she suddenly became stricken with all kinds of skin disease. And she looked horrible. 
And if that didn't, wasn't enough, she started growing a tail. So because of all this, that's why Vashti didn't come. Now the king is shocked. He never expected Vashti to do this. He knew, he knew, he knew his wife, he knew the circumstances. He was, he was a, a very, very calculated fellow, but not a big risk taker. Now he has an enormous problem on his hands. Now he put himself in a pickle. And he doesn't know how to get out of it. So he figured he'll send to the Jewish people because he says he knows the Jewish people were always very, very careful, afraid even, of issuing a capital punishment. Because in, in Torah literature, it's true there are capital punishments, and carrying out capital punishments is a mitzvah, but it's only in a very, very extraordinary <coughs> set of circumstances. And if at all possible, we refrain from doing it. There's a famous Gemara that says that if a court would convict and actually put somebody to death once in seven years, another opinion is once in 70 years, it was considered a bloody court. So we're very careful about these things. And uh, the sword with which a person is killed, for example, is buried. Nobody's ever allowed to see it again. So nobody should say, oh, that's the sword with which so-and-so was killed. And there are many other halachas of how careful we are the rule is in a court system, a Torah court system, an ecclesiastic criminal court, that you, have, you always follow majority. But when it comes to regular convictions, we follow majority. When it comes to convictions of life and death, one majority is not enough. There has to be two in the majority. Otherwise, we, leave the, we, rent, we, don't, we, we can't carry out the decision. We have to add other members to the court, trying to see if we can get a majority of two. So, so there, and, and there are also special halachas of how we start the proceedings where when somebody's life hangs in balance, we never start with the chief justice, we start only with the lower justices, so that they will not be influenced by the words of the chief justice. And these are all special halachas, and there's a, n a, number, a, n a number of whole, number of, a whole slew, really, a n whole number of other halachas of leniencies that were, were stringent in not moving forward, carrying out a capital punishment. He knew this, Achashverosh. He's a smart fellow. I think we've learned that by now. He's nobody's fool. The, the, the proverbial fool Achashverosh is not the fool of the Megillah, not, not the Achashverosh of the Megillah. And therefore he figured the Jewish people will find a way to bring about a leniency, a legal loophole. They'll find, they'll find a way within the legal t t tomes of, 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 of criminal justice to let Vashti off the hook. This is like a halacha that you can never start with a with lechayiv. You have to the first one to speak at the court has to say a reason why he shouldn't be put to death. If there's if it's unanimous, we can't put him to death. Somebody has to be able to find some kind of merit. Only the Jewish people have these laws. We can never convict but circumstantial evidence. Never, it's impossible. Because one in a billion, you'll mix it up. Doesn't matter. So he knows this. That's why he said, I'm going to the Jews. This is going to be my way out. That's how I'm going to save my wife. And Achashverosh hints to what possible leniencies there may be. He says, you have to know times. He said, maybe when you look at something from the harsh, withering gaze of justice, it's black and white. Is that famous notion that justice is blind. I don't know, I don't think it's like this in Canada, but in the United States there's a statue in front of all the courthouses of a blindfolded woman. Justice is blind. We can't look for extraordinary circumstances, but Achashverosh is hinting to them, this is a time for extraordinary circumstances. We have to find a way to 
mold the law around the situation. The law is the law. I understand. I got to save my wife. That's why he's looking for them. Maybe this was a bad hour. Maybe she knew something. Maybe this was a bad day. Maybe this is a day when, when the queen is not supposed to do certain things. And therefore, she's not going to be guilty. And that's why he said, Kidat ma'la sot hamalka vashti. No. He said he emphasizes, let's see what to do with the queen vashti. He emphasizes her regality, her, her, her status as a queen. That maybe, maybe she knew something. Maybe there wasn't a good time for a royal to behave a certain way. And that's why he sought out specifically the Jewish council. The Alshech, in his commentary in the Megillah, he says, if you look at the words of Achashverosh, you'll see encoded six reasons of how Achashverosh is trying to hint that they should be lenient to the queen. You'll take a look now. I'll just skip a verse. Go to verse 15. It says, Kedat Malasot, which we already invoked that verse. Bemalka Vashta. She didn't do the, 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 what the King Ashfarah said, in the hand of the chamberlains of the eunuchs. So he says, if you, if you think about this, he says, there are many reasons why we should be lenient to Vashti. First of all, he says, what should we do? She's a queen. So that's already a good reason to do things differently. So the queen, there has to, be, has to be some kind of slack in the law. Second of all, she, she's, she's, she's Malka first, not Vashti. Secondly, it's not something she did. It's something she didn't do. That's not the same. It's not an act of sedition. It's not an act of commission. It's an act of omission. Okay, another reason maybe to be lenient. Third thing is, he says, it was like the, something fell out of the king's mouth. It wasn't a carefully crafted law. The king said something. He was drunk. He wasn't thinking. Do you really have to hold a person to everything that kind of just makes its way out of the king's mouth? He says, and then, and then again, it was, it was Achashverosh. It's, it's not just the king. It's, it's, it's me. It's Achashverosh. So for me, any king is one thing, but here it's my wife. I am the king. And second of all, I did something really demeaning. I sent for her, biyada sarisam. I didn't even say, you come to me. I said, in the hand of the eunuchs, the, 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 king, the royal chamberlains are going to bring him. So that's, that's not even uh, according to her honor. And I didn't even give her a, like a choice. I said, her to come. She was forced to come, not even because I said, but biyada sarisam. It was as if she had to do what they wanted. It was demeaning to, to a royal. So he says, for all these reasons, Ahasuerus is kind of trying to save his wife. Which gives us a very different picture, I think, that most people tend to think of when they read the Megillah. They think, oh, Ahasuerus is a monster. The wife didn't listen, that's it all for their head. But it's actually not so. He, he, he knew how to love himself. You know, even the Nazis loved their own children. This new Islamofascism is unbelievable. They send their own children to be killed. But even very bad people in the past generally cared about themselves. Ahasuerus was not cruel to his own wife. He put himself into a real pickle at this point. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to get out of it. That's the way we have to understand this. 
the other detail is we have to understand that everything is really happening by the hand of Hashem. Achashverosh has a very carefully laid plan. He's going to demean his wife. He's going to have her prance around. And everybody will know that she's the queen because he's the king, not the other way around, as we discussed at length last week. All of a sudden, it didn't work. And as we discussed, why didn't it work? Because circumstances beyond what Achashverosh could have imagined. Vashti would have been ready. Now what do you do? Now he's trying to find a way to mitigate the situation and, and, and save his wife's life. That's why he's suddenly humble. That's why he's looking for, 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 for uh, counselors and he's looking for wise people and he's looking for those who are learned in law and the political uh, history of the, in the past. There's something had to have happened like this. There's got to be a way out of this, 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 this box that we put ourselves into. Remember, Achashverosh was a very, very shrewd political animal. You're right, he could have done something, but he also has to stick within some kind of framework, otherwise he makes a fool of himself. He could do, any king could do whatever they want, but at the end of the day, the king needs political capital. You, the people have to want to support you. Otherwise, you're going to have a revolution on your hands. And there's been a number of revolutions. In fact, there was a revolution that propelled Achashverosh to the top to begin with. So that's why he made this whole party, to curry favor with the locals. And he's playing his cards very carefully. He's demeaning the ministers. He's elevating the locals. He's doing all kinds of things to shake up the political scene to shore up his base, his power base. And now, if he is going to allow himself to be made a fool, so then his, his kingdom's going to fall apart. He's going to look like somebody who has no control. He can't do that. He can't risk that. Image is everything. If he, if he gets an image as a weakling, as a person who's inept, as a person who you can disobey, then anybody can start disobeying him. So he's in a real, a real pickle now. A lot, he's got a real problem on his hands. So what does he do? I just Before we go on to the next Pasuk, I'll only add uh, uh, just a, uh, one more a little interesting nuance. That the Malbim, in his commentary, he follows this, this, the same path as, as uh, the Rishon Litzion. He says that the king, the king was fuming, that's true. But there's a statement, that whenever there is inequity, is inappropriateness, love makes us forget. It's just human nature. One of the reasons, or I should say one of the understandings of the mitzvah of loving your fellow as yourself means that if you really love your fellow, you judge them favorably. Why? Because you judge yourself favorably. Whenever we do something wrong, or we fall short, we explain why that happened. We have a good reason for it. It's human nature. Because we love ourselves. Loving doesn't mean we hug ourselves, or speak to ourselves, or kiss ourselves. Loving means that we're really concerned with ourselves. We're infatuated with ourselves half the time. In fact, the only thing we're interested in more, 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 more often than not is ourselves. Did you say something about me? Was it good? Was it that good? How do I look? How do I say? Okay. They tell a joke, there's a fellow went on a date, and for a blind date, and for two hours he talked about himself. And then he said to this uh, poor girl, who had to sit through this onslaught, he says, you know, for two hours all I've done is talk about myself. What do you think about me? <laughs> <laughs> so human nature is such that it colors our judgment. When it comes to our own spouse, our own children, people that we love, we tend to minimize 
their shortfalls, their, their shortcomings. We say, well, they, they didn't measure up, but. When it comes to people we don't like, we exaggerate their shortcomings. We say, did you see that horrible person? Hey, you did the same thing last week. You weren't so horrible when you, well, when I did it, it was different. Why? Well, because uh, one reason, another reason, a third reason. Why really? <laughs> why? I love myself, that's why. So that's what the Malbim says. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Akshvesh could do whatever he wants. He was really angry. That's true. But he loved his wife. So because he loved his wife, he didn't want to just kill her. And he said it's true that she did some very bad things and essentially she undermined the kingdom itself. He says, but, you know, may, may, maybe she didn't really mean that and it didn't have to come out that way and maybe other people won't notice it. In his mind, he started to come up with all kinds of excuses or reasons why she should be saved. And the Malbim suggests that he, he sent for two different kinds of people. There's, there's law, and then there's like ethos or ethics, ethics committee. And Achashverosh was trying to find a loophole. So how is this going to work better? Is it going to be a question of, of, of a wife disobeying a husband? And the Malbim says in certain places, and even in his day, the woman was still considered the property of her husband and he could abuse her husband. And then there's still, she could be abused by her husband. That's still the case, unfortunately, in many places of the world today. And that, that's that part of the world. So is it a question of a wife who disobeys her husband? Or is it a question of a queen disobeying a king? So how do we get this out of the political arena? How do we take this out of an elevated national concern? And this, can we just get this down to just like a family dispute, a little matrimonial discord? Is, is there a law about this when a wife doesn't listen to a husband? That's, that's, that, that's what he's gunning for. That's what he's aiming for. And Nachashverosh figures, you know, if the law is stringent, then the ethos of, 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 of the time, of the moment, of the, of the people, maybe will be lenient. And if the ethos are lenient, maybe then we can go back to laws. Well, we'll cut and dry law. So a husband disobeyed a wife. So, a, pardon me, the other way around. A wife disobeyed the husband. Is that so bad? Is it such a terrible thing? Does there have to be a punishment? Can't there be a second chance? Cut them some slack, a little bit of leniency. So this is the, what, what, what essentially what Achashverosh was looking for, and that's why the Megillah uses these different languages. Yehdeh dos vidin. He talks about yehdeh itim, those who understand the times, who understand the nuances. Looking, he's looking for the statute of law. He wants to look at justice, the criminal code. The code. He also wants to look at circumstances and find a leniency. Because of this, Vahakarov Elov, the ones who are really close to him, Karshana, Shesar, Admasa, Sarshish, Meres, Marsana, and Memuchan. Shivas, Sore, Porasumadi. These are the seven ministers, seven princes of Media and Persia. Roe Pneha Melech, they are the ones who see the king's face. Hayoshvim Rishona Bamalcha to sit first in in the monarchy. They're, the, they're, the, they're the, the, the first level, first layer in monarchy. Once again, we have a number of things that have to be understood over here. First of all, how did we go from Chachomim Yodehoitim to Hakarovelov? How does that happen? So Rashi says, Hakarovelov. He wants to have his words spread out, if you will, or arranged before them. They should hear the circumstances. They should say, okay, here, 
Here's our, our situation. What do you think? How should we deal with this present challenge? And the Sifzik Chavim says that what's, what's challenging for Rashi is, how did, how did we get here? Before we were talking about Yoydeh Ha'itim, Das Vedin, he didn't just take any Yoydeh Ha'itim, anybody who knows times. He took the people who were closest to him. As the Malbim says, the people who were closest to him, so they would understand his body language. He would say one thing, but wink, wink, you know, move my shoulders a little. I'm looking for justice. Justice. Meaning, I'm looking for a miscarriage of justice. I'm looking for a dream team. I'm looking for, you know, a couple of smart lawyers to figure out how to spin this so I can let Vashi off the hook. So he didn't look really for objective judgment. He went to a body, a judicial body, that would give him the answer he was looking for. They, they tell a joke that once somebody asked a school teacher, how much is uh, 10 plus 10? So the school teacher said, 10 plus 10 is 20. So, okay, very nice. Then they asked the algebra professor, how much is 10 plus 10? He says, well, it depends if you take the square root, it depends which. Uh, and he gives a number of different solutions. Then he asked an accountant. The accountant closed the lights, closed the window shades. He said, how much do you want it to be? <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> so so this, is, this is, Ahasuerus is looking for judgment, yes. He's looking for a legal ruling, yes. A legal ruling and a judgment that follows what he wants. Say, here's my verdict. How do I get there now? Here's, here's, my, here's my end result. Now figure out, now fill out the blanks. Here was the question. Here's the answer. How did the question end up with this answer? That's what his intention was. That's why he chose these people. Now, the Ibn Ezra explains to us that Ro'e Pnei HaMelech, the one who see the king's face, he says, Yesh mukomot shalo yira HaMelech l'chol There are places, there are governmental systems, that the king is not available. Not everybody gets to see him. If you, if you go to the annals of the ancient Persian royal etiquette, the system of governance, there are four layers. And there is the first layer of senior ministers. They actually see and deal directly with the king himself. And then the other layers, that's already a step down. So the king chose that highest level of governance. This is a lame metaphor, but it's just to say, for example, the president or the prime minister has a cabinet. So the cabinet is the people that he confers with. And then after the cabinet, then this is like his party. It's the caucus. And then after his caucus, then there's the House of Parliament. And then there's the Senate. So the Senate has appointees in here in Canada, right? So if you have a conservative government in power for a long time, as the old appointees fall off, the new appointees are going to be the way the conservative government wants it. You have a liberal government that's in power, then the appointees start becoming more liberal-minded. It's like kind of uh, like, like in the United States with the chief justice. Who gets to choose the chief justice is going to have enormous influence on how the welfare of the country is going to unfold. <coughs> so since senators are, provincial, are, are, are prime ministerial appointments, the Senate will have that kind of impact. The House of Parliament? That depends on the electorate. How did, how did they vote? Uh, which parties fill the House of, of, of Parliament? The caucus? That's, you know, the, 
the prime minister or the leader of any party has to make sure he doesn't have a revolution in his own caucus. He needs to support his own caucus. And then there's the inner cabinet. So this would be exactly that. And I don't know if it's always been this way, but Ibn Ezra says that's how it was then. And in many ways, that's how things are today also. The king had a cabinet. That's his cabinet. So the cabinet oftentimes are the people who think like the king. That's certainly the way it is for prime ministers and presidents today. They don't choose the most disloyal members of the caucus to sit on the cabinet. Now, sometimes they want a little bit of you know, open-mindedness. They'll look for people who are not afraid to offer a different perspective within range, within range, and, and, and they want to have meaningful discussion because they want to do what's really smartest. And not everybody just saying, yes, you're, yes, your honor, yes, sir, whatever you say. But nonetheless, it's loyal people. It's the people who have the interests of this government, of this prime minister, of this president at, at, at hand first. So that's who he chooses. That's the meaning of Ro'ei Pnei Melech. Who, who does the prime minister meet with on a regular basis? He meets with the cabinet. Now, in Canada, for example, any, anybody can see the prime minister. So anybody can... Every member of parliament sees the prime minister. Every member of parliament get up and criticize the prime minister. And it's not that hard to visit parliament and to sit in the, in the gallery and watch. Anybody in theory could see this. But that's not always been the case. To the best of my knowledge, in the United States, not everybody can see the president. It isn't, it isn't like a, a regularly available. And the president actually, which is an executive branch of power, much more powerful than our prime minister, doesn't show up in Congress. He doesn't sit in Congress every day. If he wants to come to Congress, he'll come to give a speech. So it's not such a simple thing that everybody sees the, 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 the king. So different systems, different forms of government. Even within modern democracy, we have different forms of government. Achashverosh was the kind of person who was very exclusive as a rule. Which also helps you understand why he made this party where he became available to everybody. He's endearing himself. So, oh, look at that. All of the locals can get to see Achashverosh. We can all participate in this party. But he was generally exclusive. And he had his inner coterie, his his cronies of, 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 of loyalists who were around him. So that's whom he calls together to decide how are we going to respond to this circumstance. How do I dig myself out of this hole? How do I release myself from this bubble, this pickle? Now he asked them, Kidot ma'lasot, what do we do here? What's, what's, what's the ethical, what's the right thing to do? But Malka Vashti with Queen Vashti. She didn't do what the king said. In the hands of the chamberlains. So Rashi says, Kidos Malasos. What is a dot? He says, Musav This goes back to the king speaking. <coughs> this was the king speaking. So okay, what do we do here? What's the what's the right ethical thing to do? Or the king is basically intimating that he wants to save the queen. The question is not really, what do we do? It's, how do we do it? How do we make this fit into the ethos of our legal system? So it's not going to be a meltdown of government that we save face. How do we do this? The Malbim, in his commentary on, on the, what exactly he said over here, he says, the, the, the people who were Vahakarov, he says, why did he call the people who were close to him? Because he didn't want this to be a, a government thing. He wanted this to be a personal thing. He said, okay, what does a man do when his wife disobeys him in public? What do you what do? You do? You, we're, we're like, you're close. I could talk to you openly. What's appropriate? 
And, and he specifically chose these, these people because he felt that they would be, they were the ministers, senior political figures of Persia and of Made, of Medes, who were well respected by everybody. And he figured that if he would bring them into tandem with his decision, you're right, he could do whatever he wants. But if he has this rubber stamp, this group, this body of august ministers came to the same conclusion, it saves face. Hayoshvim says the, the Malbim, Yoshvim is past tense. They've been sitting there for a long time. Which means that they've been involved in government, in politics for years. And things have come and gone. There have been scandals, there have been issues. How did you deal with this in the past? Achashverosh is a relative newcomer. These people have been there for a long time. Now why does he emphasize Biyada Sarisin? Because his goal, Achashverosh, wants leniency. So he emphasizes, she didn't listen to what the king said, but it was Biyada Sarisim. It wasn't really respectful to her. It was in the hands of, of you know, chamberlains, eunuchs, regular people. As Moshe Alshach pointed out earlier, this is a reason that we should be lenient. And the Malbim goes in a similar path. He says, Bamalka Vashti, that, that she's a queen. Even before she's Vashti, she's a queen, and therefore it shouldn't be fair to judge her harshly. So what do we do? What do we do with the situation? Now you have a perspective of what the question really was, and why suddenly Achashverosh the Mighty is seeking counsel of others. Now, verse 16 begins with the statement that's made by the person who is listed last in verse 14. It starts off with Kashana, Shesar, Admasa, right? The last person we mention is Memucha. Who speaks in verse 16? Vayoymer Memuchan. Memuchan says, Lifnei HaMelech before the king, Vahasarim and the ministers. Lo HaMelech of Savashti HaMalka. It is not only the king who has been attacked. It is not only the king who has been undermined. Ki al But rather, in fact, all ministers. And if for that matter, al amim. This is a grave, grave moment in the history, in the annals of our political system, of our country. For all nations will be undermined this. in all of the provinces of the king. As the Malbim points out, Memuchan, he had it in Favashti. So therefore, he said to him, Hey, King Achashverosh, we need to solidify our power base. We need to make sure that all our provinces are on board with us. But this story is going to undermine all of the provinces, all of the people living everywhere. Will they be loyal to the king? When the king undermined their own power, their own prominence, their own ability to function? Of course not. So he is fear-mongering. He's telling Achashverosh, Really, you have to be very careful here. What's the problem? The problem, he says? This story with the queen, it's going to get out. This was a public event. There was thousands of people present. And what she did is going to become public knowledge. All the ladies are going to pick this up. And what will they take from it? As a result of this action that went unpunished, they will scorn their own husbands. The husbands will say, come here. Say, come here. Who do you think you are? You're talking about a culture, a people who said, 
Wife. Yes, sir. They're not going to do that anymore. They say, the king went wife and she didn't come, so I'm not coming either. But Amram, they will say, the great powerful king is Vashti. He said, bring Vashti. Lufanov before him. She didn't come. Rashi says, what does Avta mean? Avta means Lashan Avon. It's a sin. You, Achashverosh, are saying, It was an act of omission. She didn't pony up, you know, at the moment. She didn't, she didn't respond. He says, Lashan Avon, no. Avsa Vashti, she did a terrible thing. An act of omission sometimes can be greater than an act of commission. Think about what's going on over here. Now, why is Memuchan saying this? Like, here Achashverosh said, what's the law, what's the rule in somebody who doesn't listen to the king? And Memuchan is telling him a story about it, what everybody's going to start doing now. Because Memuchan understood what the king was looking for, and he said to the king, you want leniency, think about the bigger picture. This is going to undermine your entire kingdom. You sure you want to be lenient about this? I mean, sure, we could find some kind of loophole, but that's not what you're looking for. The, the result is going to be terrible. As Rashi says, This one who scorned, who shamed, who undermined the, the dignity of the king, she will become the cause, the reason for them all treating their husbands the same way. They're all going to undermine and, and their husband's dignity. They're going to rob him of his honor. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to demean their own husbands now. What is Rashi trying to say? He's trying to say, he says, because the issue here, as, as the as the Sifsicham explains, she didn't do anything. She didn't tell all the women to, to, to say something. That's true. But Rashi says, the fact that she did what she did, or more accurately, didn't do what she was supposed to do, is necessarily going to become a source of influence. It's going to have a huge impact on society. As they say, as they say, that sometimes it's not what you say, it's what you do. She's led by example here. She has set forth an example that is going to undermine the whole society, the whole civilization that we have built for ourselves. This misogynistic, chauvinistic civilization that demeans women is all of a sudden going to bring a, there's going to be a female spring. There's going to be a massive revolution across the whole pan-Arab world and all the ladies are going to get up and say, toss the guys out, I'm not listening to my husband anymore. What are we going to do then? King didn't do anything. So that's really what's going on here. That's why Mukhan is saying this. He says, it doesn't matter what Vashti told everybody to do, it's what everybody's going to learn to do. You, Achashverosh, are saying, let's look at what she did. Was it really so bad? We've got to find some kind of leniency. Memuchan says back, hey, you're saying let's look at what she did and minimizing it. I'm saying to, to think about the fact that it's not what she did, in fact. It's not what she did. But rather, it's what's going to happen as a result of this. That's how we have to look at this. It's a totally different approach. To the, king. the king's approach is, here's what she didn't do. How do we minimize this? How do we not carry out severe consequences as a result? She didn't really do it such a bad thing. And Mamukhan says, it doesn't matter whether she really did a bad thing or whether there's leniency. What matters is the fallout. And the lack of response is going to engender and empower this fallout. We've got a real problem on our hands. 
So this was not really the advice Achashverosh was looking for, and that's why Memuchan didn't give him that advice. He doesn't say, well, according to the law A, B, and C. Because Memuchan believed that this was much more than the law at stake over here. Now, Memuchan, by the way, is Haman, the Gemara Megillah tells us. Memuchan is Haman. Memuchan is a Haman. Why is he called Memuchan? Because the word Memuchan means that he's Memuchan Leparaniot. He was always ready to bring something bad about. His default was Paraniot, was strife, was bad things. Now, why did Memuchan speak up here? After all, he was the youngest in the crowd. So the Medrash says that actually this is an example of what we call Hediot Kofetz Barosh. The, the commoner has no sense of propriety. And he pushes himself to the front always. He becomes the spokesperson. Not because he is suitable, because he's not suitable. Precisely because he's not really the person who should be doing this. Why did he do this though? So the Gemara says that the Medrash says that there are two opinions. One opinion is that Vashti once demeaned Haman. She really disliked him. And she slapped him in the face with a shoe. Which in the Arab world, by the way, is the greatest insult till today. You slap somebody with a shoe. If you remember seeing the videos of that statue of Saddam Hussein coming down, people were taking off their shoes and hitting the statue with the shoes. Huh? Through, through a shoe at Bush, right? What do they call it? Shoe gate or something? So this is an ancient, ancient thing, which helps us understand anyway what's going on in that part of the world. Most of the mores are very ancient. It's like it's, it's ingrained for centuries, for millennia. Another opinion in the Medrash is that Haman was taking revenge for his own wife's indignity. His wife wasn't invited to the party. So whatever it was, Haman was a minister, and she couldn't stand Haman. So she tried to undermine Haman. So Haman said, try to undermine me, now I'm going to nuke you. Now I'm going to get back at Vashti. That's, that's what propelled Mamukhan to open his mouth and bring about his brilliant suggestion. Why do we use a different name instead of Haman? We're going to answer that question later, Mitzvah Hashem, when we understand how Haman evolves into becoming who Haman becomes. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason that at this point, all of the names <coughs> that are mentioned here are nom de gurs. These are, these, these are their official government names when they were sitting in power. We'll talk about that, Mitzvah Hashem. And another opinion in the Medrash is, that Haman was also a very, he was a scheming fellow. Haman had a daughter. And he figured if he could get Vashti out of the way, he could make his daughter become the queen. And if his daughter became the queen, then he would be indispensable to the king. So it was all about Haman. And that's what it is with evil people. There wasn't a shred of integrity to anything he said. Here's the reason that he focused this way. And that's why he came up with his idea. The... The uh, Ibn Ezra says first he took care of himself. First he was concerned for himself and then he was worried about everybody else. He says, Yesharis atzma v'charkachamo. First he worried about himself then he worried about his people. And that's why he said, I'll call asarim on all the ministers. And then he said, after call asarim, not only all the ministers but all the people altogether. In other words, Haman was first worried of a revolution in his own house. He was afraid his own wife wouldn't treat him respectfully anymore. 
So that was first, first and foremost, which is the exact opposite paradigm of true leadership from a Torah perspective. Torah perspective leadership is you're always concerned about your constituents. You come last. Fahaman, he came first. It's interesting. So therefore, Mamuchan says to the king, you cannot sit this one out. You cannot look for leniencies here. This is going to become a disaster. This is going to undermine your whole government. As Rashi says, Hayom hazeh, Tomarna, Sarot, Parat, Madai, Paras, Madai. Now all the ministers of Paras and Madai are going to hear about this, all the, all the, all the, the prince, princesses. Asheshom Udvaramalka heard the words of the king. This is going to cause an enormous amount of shame and an enormous amount of strife. So the shame start, starts with shame and engenders strife. And that, that's what we're going to have over here. And therefore, says Membuchan, what we need to do is put an end to the situation. Stop it dead in its tracks. Ki, pardon me. Im halamelech tov, verse 19, if the king agrees. Obviously, I'm just Membuchan. I'm just suggesting. Of a royal edict will pass him before him. The Yikasev, Bedasev, Paras, Umaras will be written in the annals of law, of ethos of this country, of this kingdom. And it will never become repealed because this will be a royal edict. That Vashti wouldn't, will not no longer come before the king, which is code language for she will be eliminated. And Malchusa, her royalty, her crown, will be given to a neighbor, a colleague, a peer, another who is better than her, who is more deserving of her. She was eliminated. That's, that's, that, that, that's what, what Muhammad was saying. It doesn't say the killer. It says Dvar Malchus, a royal edict. What is in the hand of a king? In fact, according to Torah, what defines a true king? Hachayim v'hamavet biado. A king is a person in whose life and death are vested in his hands. That's a true king. That's why none of the presidents or prime ministers are really kings. None of the kings are really kings or queens. A real king or queen is a person who has power over life and death. A dvar malchus means a royal edict, that which is only in the purview of the king. So Rashi says, Tomarna saros poras This will get, it's going to be broadcast to all of the ministers. Once that happens, he said in this thing, there is there is much shame, much scorn, and then there's a lot of anger that follows. As the Ibn Ezra explains, that he says, it will be bad enough that you can have the scorn, the embarrassment, the shame, and then then all the fighting, the marital discord, so there's going to be scorning of the husband, and in our society, our Persian society, he says that's going to result in big problems. There's going to be all these fights in the home and there's going to be a dysfunctional Persian society because all the marriages are going to be falling apart. So therefore, this is not a good situation. We have to get rid of the queen. Once and for all. As Rashi says, what is that? Dvar Malchus? Gezeros Malchus, a royal edict, shall nikama. How do kings get even? How do kings get even? Revenge. How do they get revenge? You say killer. He's very smart. He doesn't say killer. He said, give a royal edict. Otherwise, you tell me to kill my wife? No. I say, you give a royal edict. Act like a king. Oh, a king. Of course, I'm a king. Yes. And then he's going to finish her off. And then, the, obviously, he says, it'll become, 
once the king says it, that's what's going to happen. You can't depose the queen. Depose queen means a removed queen. The yichta of bedasei parasamade, Rashi says, besifre chok hamalchos. This will become part of the law. We're going to be establishing a new legal statute. We're going to create the ethos. You are going to be the great king who brought about new ethos of the country. He's appealing to his ego. He's telling him he's going to be the great transformational monarch whom all the men are going to love because he put them in power. It won't, this, this won't go away, he says. We'll show those ladies, we'll shoot. Yo, you mess around with a guy, you're finished. Everybody's going to love Ahasuerus now. He's going to become this hugely popular king. He doesn't care about the female votes. They don't count, right? He cares about the guys. They're all going to love him. He's going to establish his power base. That she doesn't come. Rashi says, You can't have a queen who's going to have a risk having somebody who can lead an opposition. <laughs> no king is going to do that. No more queen, no more Vashti. It's not just the crown you're going to remove, it's the head with the crown. Finished. Vashti is going to be gone. So this is the way we understand things unfolded over here. And actually, this, this entire story, our sages tell us, is the beginning of a, a, a transformation that is put in place by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is now sowing the seeds for the future redemption after the grave sin and the tshuva of the Jewish people in the time of Purim. Why Vashti deserved what she got, we discussed last week already. She got exactly what she gave to others. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to her. But now you understand how all of this unfolded so quickly. Achashverosh not knowing what to do. The, king, the minister is afraid to say anything because nobody wants to demean the king. Nobody at the same time wants to be, become guilty for the, the queen. Memuchan very, very slyly suggesting that this could undermine the kingdom itself. He just spent 180 days of partying. He just invested billions of dollars in currying favor and you're going to burn all that in a moment. Come on, what woman is worth that, Achashverosh? Get rid of her. You'll find a better one. And that's how Vashti is deposed and this is, as we're going to find out, how the stage is set for the rise of Esther, who ultimately brings about the Geul of Yeshua, the redemption of the Jewish people in the time of Purim. Okay? So I gave, you, I gave before, before, before we finish, this, this actually is important. Before we finish, we've given reasons for why Achashverosh called together these people. And, you know, we, we have from the... The Medrash and with the way the Orachayim explains it in the Malbim. A question that is, is really, though, kind of beneath the surface is why doesn't Rashi deal with any of this? Rashi doesn't explain the fact that Achashverosh reached for these monarchs, these royals. Why doesn't he do that? Pardon me, with, for, he, he seeks counsel. It flies in the face of everything we learned about Achashverosh. So the Rebbe suggested. There's a simple pshat, a simple teretz over here. That once you learn the previous verses, you automatically know why Achashverosh is suddenly the benevolent monarch who is asking for clemency and leniency for his wife. We learned that what punctuated this party, more so than any other global event before, any other big royal event, was Lasot Kiritzon Ishveish. It was all about currying favor. It was all about letting everybody do as they please. You don't have to do everything we say. Whatever you want. We're here to please you. So from that perspective, 
If this was, let everybody do as they please, so then the Rebbe says it makes sense that Vashti also should be able to do as she pleases. The king wasn't heavy-handed now. The king was being Mr. Benevolent. But here he has a problem. But on the other hand, the king was just disobeyed. He never told the people they had the right to disobey him. They just had the right that they didn't have to drink any big jugs or, or eat any specific food. So therefore, that's why all of a sudden the king has to try to find somebody to help him out of this situation. He created a monster that he now, that's threatening him. He created this monster of multiculturalism where everybody's going to be respected and we allow everybody to do whatever they want. They said, uh-oh, Vashti, <laughs> she, she picked up on that line. She's also doing whatever she wants. And now my whole kingdom is being undermined. That's why he calls the wise people together. He said, we got to figure out a scheme to get things back in the place, <coughs> put it back on the pedestal, make sure my monarchy is not undermined. That's why he goes and he asks for the other people. The Rebbe says, that's why Rashi doesn't say anything. Because that's self-understood. Once you understand how Ahasuerus should set things up, you understand now how he's reaching for help to try to balance his two extremes, let everybody do as they please. Conversely, let my monarchy reign and be strong. So that concludes today's class. And Bezrat Hashem, next week we will finish the first chapter of Megillah Esther.